You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carats Podcast. I'm your host, Steph. It is Friday, October 6th. The 49ers are just a few days away from this big, highly anticipated Sunday night football matchup against the Dallas Cowboys. And Lori, who usually joins me for these Friday previews, she's feeling under the weather today. So joining me to break down the 49ers' most worrisome and favorable matchups going into this one is Johnny Dells. How you doing, man? Thank you so much for uh, joining me uh, in a pinch on a Friday, man. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And uh, recover quickly, Lori. I hate to hear you're under the weather. No fun, especially this time of year. It's kind of going around, I think. Yeah, it definitely is. I was I was sick a couple couple of weeks ago, so definitely get your flu shots and you know whatever else you believe in <laughs> to to combat the colds out there. But uh, Johnny, we have some 49ers news to talk about here, and it's some big news. The 49ers earlier today traded for for former Broncos and Cowboys pass rusher Randy Gregory. And, I mean, it seems like they didn't have to give too much for him. The Broncos included a 2024 seventh-round pick, and the 49ers pretty much also gave up a 2024 sixth-round pick. So not too much uh, to give. And also the best part to me is it's pretty risk-free on the 49ers' part. The Broncos are paying his remaining salary of 14 14- 14 million and that just leaves the 49ers on the hook for his vet minimum which is $140,000 for the rest of this season he has three years left on his contract but if it doesn't work out it's pretty much not guaranteed for the remaining years of his contract so Johnny like this could be pretty big for the 49ers Chris Kosarik I mean I have to wonder how much of it had to do with like Bosa getting double teamed the most and guys like, you know, maybe Clinton Farrell and Jake Jackson might not be moving the needle uh, enough for the 49ers liking. What do you think? I, I think it, it's a number of things. I think one, the weight, the second wave defensive line, I don't think they were holding things down quite as well as they hoped for. If you look at Arizona's 99 yard touchdown drive, most of that drive came against the 49ers second wave defensive line. They were up, you know, two scores in the game. They that was that time that they were bringing in uh, their second wave to help uh, elite, give some rest to the starters, and that's when Arizona was able to then uh, get some get some uh, success and move the ball. And I think Gregory, it like you said, it's a it's a high high reward, low risk sort of move. Is that Denver's eating a massive amount of his his salary. You see him there making a big play, flushing Nick Mullins out for the dirt ball and uh, pulling a little Blaine Gabbert there. But um, that you see that they're essentially probably only moving back in the draft like a few spots. I mean, San Francisco should be picking at the end of the sixth round. We're hoping they're the 32nd pick in the in the sixth round and Denver's looking like I ah, might be sixth, seventh pick in the seventh round. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about only moving back maybe six to 10 spots at the end of the draft. And you get a guy of this caliber that obviously the league felt enough about him to give him the contract that he did. The Denver, the Broncos weren't going to give him that contract unless somebody else was willing to give him one almost as good. And so this is obviously a guy that the league feels good about that feels like they have some talent and they're able to go and get a guy that in the end makes the 49ers a more talented team. 
and you're doing this at the vet minimum for moving back a little bit at the end of the draft. I think that's a, that's an absolute steal. If you're the Dallas Cowboys looking at this this game coming in, and, and you know, I I don't know if he's going to be playing or not. I think I've heard. I was just on with Jack Hammer, so I didn't catch some of the latest news. But I, somebody in the chat was saying that to. he wasn't going to play against the Cowboys. Okay. But even if, even if he's not playing this week, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles or you're the Dallas Cowboys looking at the playoffs, if you're one of their a fan of their team, are you sitting here looking at the 49ers and saying they got less or more talented than they did at the start of today? And absolutely, they're more talented now than they were at the start of this day. And so on a team that was already one of the most talented, if not the most talented team in the league, this is something that if you're the rest of the NFL, you are not exactly happy for. And it's why the 49ers ended up pulling off this trade, because they weren't going to sit around and wait for him on the waiver wire. Uh, the 49ers were going to be 28th, 29th on the waiver wire. So somebody was going to snatch him up earlier than that. And they weren't going to wait around for it. They weren't going to let... You know, maybe L.A. jumped that waiver wire or even Dallas jumped that waiver wire. You know, I doubt they would have with their past with him. But, you know, it just it's one of those that you don't let a team like Arizona or anybody else be able to snatch him up. So you end up Dallas pays his remaining bonus. They're eating all that dead cap and you get a guy who really can move the needle and I think can also give opportunities for Farrell to be what I thought was the plan with him when they got him, and that's to be in that Arden Key, Charles Amenahu role in those pass rushing situations that we have not been seeing. We have not seen that kind of a look yet this year where we bring in a third defensive end to play over the guard and bring all of those mismatches and run those stunts, run those twists, be a, a quick presence against guards. We haven't seen that yet. We just, for some, one reason or another, we haven't seen that package on the field yet. And I don't know if it's because Cleveland Farrell is having to take on that Samson Ebicom role of yeah. being that base defensive end and they're not wanting to overwork him. But, you know, in there, um, that he, that I, I think this gives the Fort Niners just more options going forward. And I think Kasura can make this guy really uncork what he has left in the, in the bottle. Yeah, I think so too. And it is uh, Kerry Hyder Jr. who is being released to make room for Gregory Hyder, you know, coming back on the team, uh, you know, this year after a stint. Where was he before? Was it the? It was with the Cowboys. He was with the Cowboys before that. He, he had some. He had some drug issues there. Now, what he kept. He failed a couple of drug tests, and and Jack was explaining this to me on on our show, and and I, it was something I didn't realize that he deals with a social anxiety disorder, mm. and what he was testing negative for was marijuana. Um, you know this, and and the Forty Niners have not been a team that has shied away from trying to give people second chances in life. I mean, uh, it wasn't like Randy Gregory was running lines of cocaine before going into a team meeting and sending the video of it. Um, so obviously they've been willing to uh, give people second chances for doing things worse than what Gregory was doing and and have have been successful with that so um you know I, I don't i think they wouldn't have gone for him if they felt like it would have been such a a concern um you know they obviously believe it plus it's low risk i mean come on you, yeah. you're talking yeah. event minimum you moved a few spots back at the end of the draft i mean i love it yeah, I, I love the move, too. Um, I know a lot of us were probably hoping that maybe he'd be on the field uh, for Sunday's game, but Kyle Shanahan did say in his presser today that Gregory did pass his physical. He was in the building today, met with coaches, met with players, and he's flying back to Colorado for the weekend. 
uh, pretty much, you know, get everything together for his move to the Bay. He'll rejoin the team on Monday. So he will not be suiting up for Sunday's game. But I have to imagine next week against Cleveland, which will also be a big and tough game, that's probably on the table for Gregory. Um, <laughs> really quickly from, from Lisa, thanks for the jo- donation. She says it's just marijuana. Yeah, I mean, a lot of players uh, have kind of been open about – you know, doing it. And I honestly think the league should just allow it, but that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. But let's get to this uh, game, Johnny. And let's, let's look at the weather for Santa Clara. It's going to be beautiful as always. I'm almost wondering if it's too beautiful. It's like it's October and it's in the eighties. Like what is going on in the Bay area right now? Um, but at least uh, we can wear our shorts for another day and yeah, not have to bring a jacket probably for this game on Sunday night. Uh, so, yeah. And then as far as the injuries go in this game, a couple things to track, but not too much. I mean, for the 49ers, really just Elijah Mitchell, who's out with his knee injury. And John Feliciano is questionable. He is the backup center. As far as the Cowboys go, the only out player is going to be their tight end, Peyton Hendershot, um, or Hendershoe. Maybe I misspelled that. And then uh, their linebacker, Damon Clark, is questionable. You know what that means is that the the Dallas offensive line is going to be fully healthy for the first time in like what feels like a really long time. Tyron Smith, Tyler Smith, Tyler Biadash or something, Zach Martin, uh, Terrence Steele. Those guys all together are a really good offensive line. And we'll talk more about what that could mean in this matchup as we, you know, drill into these matchups. Um, But, you know, on the surface, Johnny, like both of these teams are really good, obviously. There aren't a lot of holes to poke uh, for either of these teams. And I think it's a pretty even matchup. But, you know, me and you in this one, we're going to try to get in the heads of Kyle Shanahan, Steve Wilkes, and look at some cautious matchups that maybe the 49ers want to be careful about in this one and some favorable matchups that, you know, we think could give the 49ers an advantage. Um, I, I do always like to start with the worrisome matchups just because I like to end on a high note and, and feeling positive. So uh, first one for me is the 49ers offensive line. And, and in particular, because they're going up against Micah Parsons, Lawrence. Um, and I'm mostly worried about the right side for the offensive line. Look, they did have a better game against the Arizona Cardinals defensive line last week. But, like, the Cardinals also don't have a star that was, like, a big threat to that side. You know, you think about the weeks prior, it was T.J. Watt. It was Dexter Lawrence, Aaron Donald that they had to worry about. So, in this one, you're dealing with another high-caliber, a couple of high-caliber, you know, guys on the Cowboys' defensive line that you're going to have to deal with. And, man, I, I just don't know what to think. The 49ers, like... It seems like they're improving it in, you know, their pass pro through the first four weeks, at least on paper, especially their run blocking is still like one of the best in the league. Um, But I I don't know why. I just don't feel as confident in this one. What about you? Well, I I think, you know, Dallas does have some firepower coming at you, especially in the ability to get after the passer. Like you said, there's Lawrence. They got Micah Parsons, who everybody knows the, the freak he is. You know, Mike Parsons, uh, or, uh, Parsons, when I watched him, it was their Arizona game. I watched their Arizona game. I watched uh, the game they played for that. I'm, I'm forgetting who they played. Um, 
when I watch those games on film, Parsons is a guy that they he's just almost like uh, controlled chaos that they point in the direction of an opposing quarterback. Um, he plays at at a hundred miles an hour all the time. And I mean, it's crazy to watch some of the things he'll do. He'll he'll just run and be like a bowling ball against a tackle and bounce off the guy and then loop around and go inside the guard. It it wasn't even like a planned stunt. He just is always running and always searching for that hole and always searching for a way to get to the quarterback because he's so stinking fast that even if he leaves his lane on one side, by the time he gets around and the quarterback is starting to run he can run almost anybody down because he he's just that way and so he's got this crazy you know almost chaos that they they point in the direction to just cause havoc um i, I think a guy that gets a little overlooked on their defense is uh, i think it's cheeto bay odigizua uh it's one of their defensive tackles and yes that name took me a while to figure out how to say i didn't want to say i did a, a preview video before our playoff game against them and i posted it in the in the cowboys subreddit and uh, and on the film on the film, I was like, I'm not even gonna try and say this guy's name. He's number 97, and and I got roasted by it by <laughs> Cowboys fans in the Reddit, like all of them phonetically spelling it out. Oh, Diggy Zua, come on, man! And I was like, well, okay. Um, but he was a guy that when I watched their film from last year, I was I came away impressed because I think he's a big part of why their their run defense except for the against the Cardinals game was pretty darn good, but it wasn't because of him that their run defense against the Cardinals was so bad. Um, a lot of what they was happening in that Cardinals game was poor scheme. And I don't know, which is really weird for Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn's usually really on everything, but they were getting out leveraged by the offense multiple times. And then they, they weren't on the same page as who was going to account for Dobbs in the run game. Um, but, when you look at Odigizua and what they have inside, he's he's quick and he's disruptive, and that's what what teams want against the zone heavy rush, run offenses like ours is about disrupting that timing, getting in the backfield, and being uh, somebody a disruptor that way. We saw that last year against us in that in the playoffs was that we were having a really hard time running our zone runs, which and so much of our offense is based upon that is those zone runs that. Um, that then allows them to play into what they do best, which is get after the passer. And you don't want to let them be able to be in that situation. We saw what happened in the New York Giants in that situation. They com they just got away from the run, completely abandoned it. I don't know why Dable did that. And you just let that defensive line peers pin their ears back. And it's going to be a long day for you if you allow if you allow that to happen. One thing that you see from the 49ers consistently since Kyle Shanahan is here, he always waits towards run blockers over pass blockers because everything in the offense is about running the ball, about play action pass. The drop back pass game is not a generally a really deep ball drop back pass game. Now we saw Brock Purdy uncork a couple that normally would be play action passes, and we ran him as seven step dropbacks. I was really surprised at that. Uh, you know, we hit the big, uh, big over deep post route to Ayuk across the field. We ran um, uh, most people call it Yankee sit, or Kyle calls it heat in his playbook, where Kittle came over and he sat over the middle, and you run a post route behind it, and it was coming out in the third quarter, and uh, and Brock Purdy hit him. Normally, that's a play action pass. It's actually in the play pass section of Kyle's playbook uh we ran it as a dropback pass i was really surprised um you know but that's so much of what we do it's about guys that can block be on the move not the anchoring pass blocking guys so 
in this game, if we're looking at how do you contain that Cowboys pass rush, you have to run the ball and you have to be successful at it. And it might mean more zone, more uh, gap running that we saw. That's what we did at the second half of that playoff game was we went away from the zone running and went towards the gap scheme. And that seemed to do a little bit better, um, you know, because, again, Oh, Digizua is disruptive. You got Parsons, who's disruptive. You're away from him. He runs you down. You run at him. He can split a double team. He can mess with the rules of your zone blocking because he's such a good athlete. You know, people say you just got to run at Mike, Micah Parsons. And I say it's not always that easy. Now, the Cardinals did, and some of their biggest yeah. runs were going right at Parsons. If you if you if you can get him to be over aggressive, you're good. But if he if he starts to play sound, which I think they're going to be in his head this this week about you got to be on this, you know, then, then it can be a challenge. Yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, I did want to talk about running right at Parsons and, and your take on that. So we'll probably talk more about that in a bit when we get to CMC, but yeah, I mean this, this Cowboys defensive line, they lead the league in pass rush win rate right now at 60.6%. And on his own Parsons is 26.4%. Um, they also lead in pressure rate by a wide margin and this is by far, I think, the toughest test the 49ers offensive line will face as a whole. Um, so if these first four weeks have lent them any time to gel and build that cohesion, especially like the right side of that line, it could go a long way in this game. But I agree. I mean, I think, you know, it's going to be about not just being static in one spot. And Kyle doesn't really do that anyway. So Brock also, I think, does a good job of, you know, doing what he does to evade pressure as, as much as possible. And he's actually getting the ball out pretty quick this season as well. So, yeah, he'll have his work cut out for him. But let's look at some uh, worrisome matchups for the 49ers defense. The corner situation with Isaiah Oliver and Ambry Thomas, to me, is like less than ideal. And what I'm looking at here is in the slot, C.D. Lamb. Lamb runs 72.4% of his routes from the slot. Eight of his 23 receptions this year have come from the slot. So it's just this back and forth. I really don't know what the 49ers' plan is with these two corners. Um, I mean, Oliver is playing pretty much exclusively from the slot when he is out there, and he's doing a pretty serviceable job, I think. 75% of opponent passes thrown his way are caught, um, which is not too bad, uh, and 62.9% passer rating or sorry, 62.9 passer rating allowed in his coverage. Um, and so based on what you've seen, Johnny, like, do you feel like Steve Wilkes is still playing that matchup game when it comes to, you know, Oliver and Lenore in the slot? Or is it solely like if one guy makes it like if Oliver starts and he makes a mistake, is it like, oh, we got to pull him and pull Lenore? That Like what what are you kind of seeing in the film? So what I'm I'm kind of seeing is it depends on where Wilkes wants to go with what what he's wanting to do and what he's seeing is happening. Isaiah Oliver is a lot better in zone. Um, so when we bring him out, now that doesn't mean we're not playing man. It's not like Wilkes is going to mm -hmm. sit there and put Isaiah Oliver out Oliver out there and send up the the signal that we're going to be in zone every time. The, yeah. One of the problems is that I, he's not been great in man, and so. When we've called man, teams tend to go at him. Thomas has generally been better in man, worse in zone. Um, which, you know, he's he was kind of drafted to be that 
man coverage guy on the outside, similar to what they did with Daryl Luter this year. Uh, he's definitely a man cover guy, and the challenge is how do you understand your role in the entire scheme? I, Ambry Thomas has he's been frustrating because I think he has the ability to be one of our better man coverage guys from the physical tools standpoint. He's got great speed. He's got good length. Uh, he's he, you know they tried to go after him two plays in a row then one of them they got him this mm-hmm. the, but the first play he was running stride for stride with the receiver down in bump yeah. and run coverage okay now they went after him again and they hit him with a with a stutter and go and it was one of those i was so frustrated watching it because where he's having his breakdowns is not understanding not playing the situation he's playing the man not the situation so it's the third and nine they got to get to the 40 yard line our 40 yard line to convert a, a first down they run a seven yard stutter and go so the guy's running like he's running a seven yard curl route at the 42 yard line and avery thomas tries to jump the route dude you can give up a seven yard curl and you're fine it's third and nine like just make the tackle they kick a field goal that they're down 21 six going into the halftime big whoop okay now you're instead jumping on a on a route short of the first down and you're giving up a 30-yard bomb that sets up them for a touchdown on the next play. That's frustrating to me. That's a that's a situation where I'm getting irritated at you because you know you're a guy that I want you to see be successful, but you're doing something like this. And and so, you know, it's kind of putting Wilkes in a little bit of a bind here. You run Isaiah Oliver out there, you're gonna have to be more zone heavy. You put Amy Thomas out there, you're wanting to be more man heavy, but then again he busted in man coverage. Now that was his one bust of the game as far as from a man coverage standpoint um you know and and so i think it's a struggle there of what is the identity of the defense going to be here as who can who can show that they have the fewest weaknesses of what their weakness is and that that's the question that this team has to figure out and i i don't know if you know, that answer is going to come in the form of Samuel Womack when he's healthy on the outside of Daryl Luter. And when he's healthy on the outside, if somebody else needs to be in that mix so when they can get healthy and, and be out there and let Lenore come into the slot and stay there. I think Lenore has been pretty good in the slot. He did give up a first down on third and two. I showed it on my, my film breakdown. Uh, they ran this little uh, uh, kind of like a drag China or or choice out China where they, he heads out to the flat real quick and then breaks back in and Lenore jumped on the route. He, he thought it was going to be a quick out to the flat and jumped on it really well, but got in front of the receiver and then the guy just broke back in where he did it, where his eyes weren't. And they give a first down on a play on a drive that they end up going down and, uh, and scoring a touchdown. Um, you know, so it, it, it does create some issues there. Uh, I think, I think you're going to see a lot more Isaiah Oliver in this game. I think we're going to play a lot more zone. I really do. I, I think this is a game where when you have CD lamb in that slot, I don't like either Lenore or Isaiah Oliver matching up on him <laughs> in the slot. Now I, Isaiah Oliver on the outside against him. Fine. Um, but what I noticed from Dallas's offense last year, and I know they, you know, they changed up a, a bit and Mike McCarthy's calling plays now, but, and I said this in the in the Cowboys subreddit. I said, look, the the D, that offense runs through CD Lamb. And people are like, oh no, no, no. It's through the running backs, it's through it's through Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. I said, no, th- those guys are are add-ons to what they do with CD Lamb. Everything is about what they start doing with CD Lamb. He will dictate what coverages teams play. He will dictate where coverage is rolled. And then they run somewhere based off of that. 
Like everything was yeah. about running through CD Lamb and and the problems that he created. Tony Pollard looked as good as he did because of what CD Lamb was doing. And I think you're going to see a lot more zone coverage and and them kind of rolling things towards CD Lamb to to keep him from being the big thing and it's going to it's going to come down to your linebackers and your safeties being able to really come up and tackle that stuff underneath. Don't give CD Lamb anything deep and and don't let him break tackles and make this to where you start having to run some coverages where you're going to then open things up for Tony Pollard. Um, so I think that's going to be the big matchup for them. And I, I do see them running a lot more zone there. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to hear because maybe that, if that means less Ambry Thomas, I think <laughs> a lot of us would, would feel good about that. Cause it almost feels like, you know, teams see him out there and they immediately want to pick on him. Like it's kind of become this thing. And I was like looking at his stats and it was actually like, he's played 62 coverage snaps and he's been targeted 13 times. So Maybe it's just the feeling that I get watching it in a game that it feels like he's being picked on, but like, you know, he's not being targeted that much compared to the coverage snaps he's getting. Yeah, and it's one of those that the the things he has given up have been pretty egregious. Um, yeah, you know, I, I remember I remember that against after the Steelers game, I, I think I put it out on Twitter, um, that I watched the film and I said the only negative I had was that that Thomas struggled pretty bad in the first half and he got pulled uh, in that second half. And some people were, were commenting and they're like, no, 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 he didn't get pulled. He had a concussion. I said, no, he didn't because he was back in later in the game. I saw him on special teams. I saw he was on the field during Hafunga's interception. I said, dude had a rough end to that first half. Like there, and, and again, it was not playing the situation. It was, they, they had their, uh, uh, pass early there they were backed up i think it was within their own 10 yard line there's two minutes left in the half and they get a quick out to the flat and thomas is is coming up for the tackle and he dives at the guy's legs and the guy hurdles him goes out of bounds and you're going dude you tackle high in that situation because if you if you push that guy backwards even a foot that's a forward progress spot. It's not an out of bounds spot. You just have to move the offensive player backwards before they go out of bounds. If you do, the clock keeps going. If you let them out of bounds, guess what? That clock stops. It's in two minutes. Bus number one, that's a problem. You're playing the man, not the situation. And then there was a couple times you were running palms coverage. He was supposed to convert to a to a cloud or a flat coverage instead of a deep quarter he didn't didn't read it right they again they get two quick passes like seven eight yards out of bounds because he's not reading what he's supposed to on that coverage gives up again completions out of bounds within two minutes then they cover call cover three he gets hit on, on a comeback route again lets the guy go out of bounds doesn't come up get physical on it there was a play earlier in the game where it, there's a run out there Cleveland Farrell disrupts it everybody gets in on the tackle but Ambry Thomas you know he's not showing the physicality they want it was just it was yeah. multiple things in there that you're going okay this is this is not good they, the, the, these are things that it's just, it's mental errors and that's what's so frustrating with him is he's got the physical tools it's the mental errors. And when you when you have egregious mental errors in key spots, that's why coaches don't want to put you out on the field. It's why us fans start to get a little nervous when you see Ambry Thomas out there. You're going, okay, if it's two minutes left in the game, are you really feeling confident of Ambry Thomas playing the situation right in that game? No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I hope we don't see too much of Ambry Thomas because this is not a game that I want to feel more nervous than I already am. Not that I'm like nervous and I because I think the 49ers are going to lose, but you know, games of this caliber just just get the 
get the anxiety flowing a little bit. And you're going up against CD Lamb, Brandon Cooks, who like they haven't really unlocked yet, I don't think. And you know, I was talking to some Cowboys fans throughout the week, and and they were thinking this is the game they're going to use Brandon Cooks. Like, so maybe they're keeping some things close to the vest uh, leading up to this game. So hopefully the secondary is a little bit better or the corners in particular, a little bit better in this game. Now let's talk about some favorable matchups. All right. I, I want to feel better now. <laughs> so let's talk about this guy, Christian McCaffrey, right? Cause I, I have the utmost confidence in Christian McCaffrey. Anytime he's on the field, anytime he gets the ball, I think for the obvious reasons, I like McCaffrey in this matchup because based on what we've seen so far, like throughout the time he's been with the 49ers, like it doesn't really matter what defenses try to do to stop him. And trust me, they have spent like all week trying to figure out how to stop him. And I think they have a hard time like actually doing it in a game because it is easier said than done because he's so freaking good right now. And, you know, David Lombardi uh, dropped this little nugget uh, earlier this week talking about the divisional round game and how the 49ers, you know, made an adjustment from, you know, running uh, most of their runs in the first half were perimeter runs and they switched to power runs um, or sorry from perimeter runs. Yeah. To power runs in the second half. And, and they had success with it uh, 2.5 yards per carry in the first half compared to 4.1 in the second half. And so this is so Dave Lombardi uh, said running straight at Micah Parsons is the best strategy. I think what, why a lot of people think that too is because, you know, they saw the Arizona Cardinals having success with that, right? So, I mean, it's I, I don't know. <laughs> is that the way to go about it? I mean, it doesn't hurt to try, I guess. Uh, but as you mentioned, there is some risk to that as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, Alex Gibbs, who. Um, was the father of the wide zone, which is the basis of our run game, right? Uh, he's got some fantastic videos. You know, just just if people are really into the X's and O's of football and want to know about our run scheme, just put in the YouTube search bar Alex Gibbs, and you're going to see some great stuff. He's a Mississippi guy, so he's got this great Mississippi accent, and he's gonna and he's gonna be talking about the wide zone the whole time. And he's just got this great way he talks about it. He was um, he was Mike Shanahan's run game guy okay he he i believe he was a offensive or uh oh offensive line coach there and he really brought the wide zone into the nfl now he talks about in there he goes now what we're gonna do with the wide zone he goes we're gonna put this guy over here and he was doing this coaching clinic i think it was 2016 2017 he goes you got a guy like vaughn miller out here because this this guy might be the best edge player in the in the league and what we're we love to do is we actually run to love love to run wide zone to the weak side why because every team is going to try and put their best pass rusher over there on that weak side always trying to get him those free rushes on your quarterback and do all that so we're going to run at his rear end all day long and wear his butt out like that's what he talks about you know we're going to make that guy fight this double teams fight this and just wear his rear end out so by the fourth quarter he's huffing and he's puffing and he's not able to get to our quarterback and so you know this has been a plan for a long time in this kind of scheme is run at the other guy's best edge guy and and oftentimes it's it involves a lot of weak zone weak side zone runs and we do a lot of those uh if you notice if you ever watch our our, our games you'll probably notice there's going to be a lot of weak side zone runs now we do run strong side a lot but we tend to kind of go and and sometimes when you hear those checks at the line sometimes that's okay 
the guy we want to run at's over here. Uh, it's not even as much about a coverage thing. It's the guy we want to run at's over there. So let's run at him because uh, we want to wear him out. Um, and and that is that is the thing. Uh, the problem, the tough thing that Mark Parsons presents is if you aren't getting like a Trent Williams on him, uh, he does present a challenge there. And and now the Cardinals were able to take advantage of that. We went to more gap scheme against it. And and I think, again, like I had said earlier about the, the abilities of their defensive line to disrupt, that that maybe works a little bit better. But where I really like Christian McCaffrey's matchup is actually in the pass game because of some of the ways that we can take advantage of Dan Quinn's defense. And uh, do you mind if I, if I share something? It looks like I can share yeah. some of my screen. Um, let's see, uh, share screen here. Let's see if I, if I can bring this up. Actually, um, and like, if you're going to talk about the, the man coverage, like that's kind of what I wanted to talk about next too. Cause like, to me, I, I like that matchup. That's one of my favorable matchups in this game for the 49ers. So if you get it pulled up, um, uh, does it give you an option to share it down there? Oh yeah. Uh, here we go. Okay. Here we go. So this is, if everybody wants to know, this is uh, Dan Quinn's playbook from the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Um, this is circa 2013, uh, the Legion of Boom defense. And Dan Quinn's defense is a matching zone is what we call it. Okay. So what that means is that they play a zone coverage, but a lot of times these route, these guys in zone are have rules of how they match stuff okay we play this coverage this is, is a lot of times what you call a a, a, a a mabel coverage but they call it reno here um where you're gonna have on the on the single receiver side this is essentially in man coverage you see it over here on the tight end that's essentially man coverage and this is how they're gonna match certain routes okay so the corner is gonna take here and then your mic your mike linebacker is that which would be like vanderesh if you bring something across and this is what's called the number three, he's got to match that. And you see that that put there. Um, there's other plays I have around here that will show that same thing. What that means, what this means, and why we're coming with McCaffrey, is now your will is going to be matched on this halfback coming out. Okay, you can bring this halfback out here, and you can put him on a choice route where he can go either way. And this mic has already cleared out if you put in, like, uh, George Kittle there. And sometimes what we do is we'll just run this straight up the seam. Uh, against Dallas, I don't see us doing that because that would actually get picked up by the safety. But if you bring George Kittle across the field, like put him on a basic route, which we see him run all the time. Now you've cleared out Vanderesh and you have McCaffrey on leverage in leverage against their will linebacker, because this is the way that Dallas's coverage rules exist. And so now you're looking at McCaffrey being matched up on these choice routes with their will linebacker, sometimes with their safety, you know, that gives you a huge advantage. Um, from a schematic standpoint of McCaffrey, we saw Kyle do this against the Cardinals and Brock Purdy went 20 of 21. It was, I mean, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen so many choice routes f from our offense in one game. There were so many in that game and, and Gannon's defense plays a very similar style of matching zone to Dan Quinn. And literally, we were just like, it was like run Kittle on a clearing route, not even in the progression, just literally to draw a defender mm -hmm. out and then yeah. run McCaffrey on a choice route underneath. That's literally what you're trying to do. And then we'd have, you know, maybe a number two, but McCaffrey was number one on his choice multiple times and literally just chugging down the field. And I see a very similar thing coming into this Dallas game. And so I love the matchup of McCaffrey versus the Cowboys. 
Yeah, and and I also love a couple of other guys too, and and in particular, I want to talk about Brandon Ayuk first. You know, the Cowboys run man coverage nearly seventy percent of the time, uh, so definitely their preferred uh, defense. And Brock Purdy in the 49ers offense is number one in EPA per play against man coverage, and against man, Purdy is uh, has a quarterback rating of eighty nine. He averages eight point seven yards per attempt. 14 to two touchdown to interception ratio. And that is top three against man coverage over the last two seasons. So he, he does really well against man. Brennan Ayuk also does really well. You can see like his target rate jumps up to 30% against man coverage. So, and you see CMC, we were just talking about, he's at yeah, 26, right? So he will remain a focal point of the offense as well as Ayuk in this one. So maybe a quieter game from a guy like Debo. And, you know, interesting enough, like I actually kind of feel, and I, you know, maybe we see more Kittle, but like his target rate against man is actually 16%. But the reason that I wanted to talk about Kittle is because I feel, so I saw this about the Cowboys defense. They play a lot of cover one, uh, 63% of their snaps are in cover one. That's the highest rate in the league. And I'm going to share this uh, slide here. So the Dallas defense are, they're currently number one in defensive DVOA in passes to the left and passes to the right, but they're number 27 versus passes up the middle. That is where this 49ers offense like cooks. So, I mean, we were talking about those, you know, underneath choice routes for CMC, but I also think um, if they want to maybe like, you know, Kittle, down the middle <laughs> would make sense for this one too. And so I could potentially see, see him having a big game. I feel like he's been dis- defrosting a little bit. Like he's, he's been quiet, almost too quiet where you're like, all right, he's due, he's due for a big game. Right. So I don't know if this is one, but uh, I don't know. Maybe a couple guys could have a big one. Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, I, not to sound, uh, weird here. I, I do think some of the, the numbers on Dallas running cover one um, might be a little skewed because people so often think that they're matching zone because it'll look a lot like cover one that mm-hmm. people was that it's sometimes getting mislabeled as cover one. I, when I remember what I remember of Dan Quinn when I was watching his stuff in Atlanta and in Seattle was this almost 50 50 was and, and it was really and sometimes it was really hard to tell but in the way that he runs things and he'll disguise things all the time uh that's where richard sherman was so deadly because he'd sit there and he'd show that that press that bump and run and then last second he'd pull out in a bail technique and he's in deep third but he would match and it would look like look like cover one um but one thing that we that i saw from dallas's defense and arizona really went after this and i think this is going to be a huge matchup and i love how you put it up there that iuke was the number one guy versus man um because he's that receiver that has to be the man coverage guy beater and once Diggs went out against the cardinals okay before the cardinals game the cardinals were going after deron bland in man coverage a lot and he gave up several big pass interference penalties and also allowed i think it was three big first downs in that game that allowed their run game to keep going and that's that matchup i think that is going to be really favorable for the team is brandon Ayuk on bland uh he is not the player that Diggs was at all and that that's a, a 
I think a soft point that you can put your finger on and really press to then allow you to to keep getting chances in that run game, to keep getting getting hits at it because nobody has more explosive runs than the 49ers. Like we we are the explosive run team except for maybe Miami against Denver uh because Denver <laughs> apparently just wanted to play two safeties against uh Miami while they're running for five touchdowns. Like it was crazy. Um but I think that's a that's a point that you can press on to force Quinn either out of you're going to have to start devoting more resources. You're going to have to go zone, and then you're going to see those choice routes of McCaffrey. You're going to have to go too high to try and double, bring some sort of clamp coverage on Ayuk so that now you can run the ball more effectively. I think that's going to be a really big matchup that really favors the, the 49ers. Yep. I, I love it. And another little nugget that I saw, the Cowboys ranked 28th in yards after catch allowed per reception. As you guys know, guys like Kittle, Debo, and McCaffrey, if you're not tackling, they're just going to keep running. All right? So uh, maybe that could uh, benefit the 49ers in this one too, although I do expect for, uh, the Dallas defense to, you know, be be on top of their game so maybe we'll see a better effort from them than against other teams but another favorable matchup that i like because of the history that you know we we've seen it have success all right the 49ers defense against dak prescott uh 49ers run a lot of zone and i know we mentioned that earlier dak has struggled with that in the past against zone he has a quarterback rating of 49.4 but it's not I good will, not good not good and like you know we've seen him struggle with that in the past but the the one thing that i've noticed and that seems to be working for them right now they have dak in this like just just don't f it up type of offense kind of like similar at, all week i've been comparing it to like the jimmy garoppolo offense oh, that you we were saw you, with, ha- like, you were gonna go there oh man yeah i'm gonna like i <laughs> It's working. It's working. It It is. I think for an extent, like it did work for the 49ers quite a bit as well. Like he's getting the ball out quickly. His average time to throw right now is 2.49 seconds. And that's the fifth fastest so far this season. Um, And so we've seen that have success against the 49ers, right? So far that makes it tough. Excuse me. That makes it tougher for your defensive line to get home. The Rams had success with it, um, you know, a couple weeks ago against the 49ers. And in those two recent playoff games that the Cowboys had against the 49ers, Dak was 26 of 31 for 189, not 189 yards and a touchdown and a successful play rate of 48.4% quarterback rating of 102.7 on passes thrown within 2.3 seconds or less so if if that's what they're gonna be doing in this game like yeah that could see more success against this 49ers defense than maybe he has in the past and i also kind of like would compare it to not just like what stafford was doing you know against this defense but also maybe dobbs because i felt like dobbs was kind of doing the same thing getting the ball out quick and you know, short passes, not a lot of depth of target, at least early in the game. And the 49ers were kind of just, you know, letting them have that. Like, sure, okay, like, you, you want to think and duck. Okay, we're not scared of that. Um, <laughs> and then, like, you know, ultimately, I, I do feel like if they roll with that, like, fine. But what I'm worried about is if they pair that with, you know, the run being successful, then, like, you know, you could get into some problems and it could snowball from there. So you do have to still stop the run, 
But if they can do that, I think they they're fine taking these like short passes from Dak. Absolutely. I think you nailed that nailed it right on the head there of it comes down to are they able to do both get the short completions and get the run game going? You know, we often have this idea of that it, the deep passes is what opens up the run game. It's actually your your run game will open up the deep passes a little bit more because your short passes will open up your run game. Um, what I mean by that is that so much oftentimes the when you start horizontally stretching those eight man fronts or eight man box where it's going to be cover one or cover three and cover three only has four underneath defenders. So you start run, you, you can horizontally stretch a cover three a lot easier. So on one, one side of the field, you only have two underneath defenders. You can run things like spacing stick. They put three guys in a two in a two defender zone and the defense is in a bind. You know, the other three guys are playing over the top. And so you can sit there and go after a cover three with just, Little, little pass, little pass, little pass, little pass. Okay. Um, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo do that for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, that's what a lot of what we saw. And that's what it's about. It's about, okay, you're going to play this, this cover three zone. You're going to sit on us. You're playing three, get three deep, a little harder to get those really deep passes going. We're going to sit there and, and hit you short, hit you short, hit you short, then run play action and hit you over the intermediate. And the, the hitting somebody short doesn't, hurt is bad unless they start running the ball then unless you're sitting here and they're having to go cover two to try and bring an, another guy down uh into underneath coverage or they're sitting there running man coverage and you're just able to run people out and then you know run behind them where they were um that you allow a team to do both those you're really going to struggle in the game and and they're gonna it's gonna be death by a thousand cuts and mm-hmm. you know when we saw arizona doing that 99 yard drive remember they had three third and ones that they converted with the the I call it the lameness of the anus. It's not the tush push to me. Um, uh, but I, cause it's the lamest playing football to me. I hate it. Um, but they did two of those on third and short. And again, they're in third and short. Cause what yep. they get a six, they get a five yard run. Then they get a four yard pass. Okay. Four yard pass doesn't sound like a lot. Well, when it's second and five and you're setting up third and short, now you do the QB sneak. Now you have a first down and they did that two, two you know, six plays was like that. It was like, here's a, here's a five yard run. Here's a four yard pass. Here's a quarterback sneak. Here's a six yard run. Here's a three yard pass. Here's a quarterback sneak. And they're getting first downs and they're just kind of, now they're starting to wear on you. You're on the field for six, seven, eight plays before you have a chance to get off. And now you're a little tired on that third, third down and you give up another third down. And then they hit you with the play action pass over the top, like they did against Fred Warner. Okay, that's where you start having problems, and that's what you worry about with Dallas is are they going to be able to do that? Is Can they hit those short things and pair it with a run game? You have to stop one of those. Um, to me, you stop the run game. You let them, sh- you let them throw a three-yard pass. I mean, one thing I loved wa- from watching the film against Arizona was watching Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner come up and hit everything underneath and tackle. That was <laughs> oh, yeah. so fun to watch. The closing speed of those guys for everything underneath. I mean, they were like, I, I call them dice and vacuums in my uh, in 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 my uh, defensive review be, because they were like they were just sucking up and cleaning up all the dirt underneath, and and they were closing. I mean, each one I think had ten tackles, eight solos each. Like the closing speed of those guys to tackle everything underneath is just different than what you see around the NFL. Yeah. And so yeah, let the let the Cowboys throw it underneath. Let Dre Greenlaw and and just, uh and Tayshawn Gibson and Hafanga and Fred Warner go tackle everything underneath because they're fantastic tacklers. They're hitting everything, and they're gonna they're gonna bring it to you. 
just don't let them get that four yard, five yard run. You do that, guess what? They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to do this all the way down the field, and Dak is gonna have to be pre- be perfect. One thing about Dak, and you talked about that poor performance against zone coverage. I've seen is that one he he wants to be aggressive and he wants to push the ball downfield. Two, he's not good at eye discipline. You can follow his eyes to where it's going to go. So like last year when we played him in the in the playoffs, our, our guys were using what's called a vision technique a lot, where you drop to a spot and then you read the eyes of the quarterback to where to where you're going to go. Um, sometimes defenses will play in a, in a matching, like we've seen with the matching zone, is that you're more looking at reading the, the routes of the receivers to understand where the guys are dropping in zone. And then the vision technique is we're going to hit a landmark and then read the quarterback's eyes from there. And that's what we did more against Dak. And it was very, very successful. Dak threw a couple picks, you know, did obviously they only scored 12 points, doing fantastic. You force Dak to do that and you're, you're, in, you're in good shape. Um, this offense, watching... Dallas. This offense really reminds me of the 2013, 2014, maybe even 2012 Packers. Um, mm-hmm. This was very much the one thing that's missing is Aaron Rodgers' uncanny ability to hit that alert fade uh, right in the bucket to uh, uh, Jordy Nelson down the sideline. Like that, that was what made that offense so explosive um, was that Aaron Rodgers could do that at any point. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has, has throws that ball better than I think anybody in the history of the game. Um, but everything else with that Packers offense was literally just, you know, dink, bink, 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 mm-hmm. bink. And it was here and it was about getting the ball out quick fast fast i hate the term dink and dunk because it sounds almost you know uh pejorative but it was more about getting the ball out quick and not letting a, an, an opposing defensive line wreck your game plan um and that's what you're seeing from from dak here and with mike mccarthy's it very much feels like that early 2010s packers offense where it's it's about just we're gonna sit here and and we're gonna we're gonna play a quick strike passing game everything was quick strike um but I, I don't think that Dak is anywhere close to the quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is, and he doesn't have that ability. And I, th- I think we take away that run game, you're going to force Dak to start making some throws and, and have to try and look guys off in zone coverage in those third and sevens, third and eights, and that's not going to go well for Dak, I don't think. So, yeah, and that's kind of how I see this game going, right? Like, me, I don't think they're going to stop Pollard. He is a really good running back, and right now the Cowboys, uh, you know, their run game currently ranks 12th in rushing success rate on first and second down. So I think they'll get those to an extent. I think they'll be able to limit Pollard, and, you know, thus far through these first four weeks of the season, it seems like teams aren't even trying to run against the 49ers, so – I mean that that certainly helps. Sure, make yourself one dimensional. Um, the Cardinals tried; they just couldn't do it. I mean, I will say he had the, like what six carries for like fifty-two yards, or it was ten carries, fifty-two yards, right? Yeah, and and that was the better part of their run game, and they they yeah. broke a couple decent runs in there. And Dobbs, he tried; they tried to run with him. Yep. He got nothing there, and that was like I said, that was such a huge part of their success against Dallas. I mean, they had their two biggest runs were off of quarterback option looks uh they had like a 44 yarder from Dobbs where nobody accounted for him on a quarterback option like literally nobody accounted for him and he just took it took it and ran and went 40 some yards and then they had another play where two people accounted for him and (laughs) the the offensive line had five blockers on four defenders and they hit like a 40 
40, 45-yard touchdown run. You know, so their their inability to properly account for the quarterback in the run game with Dallas was 90 yards that they had in their two biggest plays. We didn't let any of that happen. Absolutely shut it down. Um, and so, you know, that's that's where you also see the difference between these two defensive lines. Uh, you're going to see a lot of heavy inside zone with McCarthy's big inside zone guy, a lot of duo. So you're going to see a lot of double teams inside off a single back. And that means that Hargrave and Armstead are going to have to anchor and hunker down against double teams. There, I, I don't want to see them being super disruptive there. They need to just soak up those double teams, let Greenlaw and Fred Warner go fill the holes and Hafunga get in there. Uh, I think because those are guys that have the speed that, that can negate Pollard. Um, mm-hmm. What Pollard does really, really well is, is press that, that double team hide behind those guys and then squirt out a, a hole that, this opposite of where a linebacker pick, but if those guys can hunker down and not let any vertical movement in that duo, then I think we're going to be just fine. Yeah. I mean, the defensive line performance I think is important in this one. And we usually think putting on a defensive line sacks pressure, but they're going to be really important in stopping the run as well. And it seems like, at least supporting our base defense has more success against the run. They've only uh, allowed an efficient run on one out of five times when offenses have tried it sixth best best in the NFL this season. So it drops a 22nd against uh, their nickel personnel. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree, like, the defensive line of the 49ers against this Cowboys offensive line, which, as I mentioned, they're going to be, like, full squad. This is going to be, like, their their top offensive line. I'm kind of hoping that, like, it being their first game, like, all, t- all together, that maybe there'll be some, like, miscues here and there. But that maybe that's wishful thinking. But I, but I agree. Maybe it's not going to be, like, the typical big – game from the defensive line that we're used to but if they do those things like you're just mentioning like soaking up those double teams the little things right that like maybe we don't notice until like after we watch you know the tape if they can do that and be technically sound I think it, it can work out in their favor and I think if this game as a whole is like it's gonna be grinded out and that's why like the title of it is can the 49ers outlast them because in my mind the 49ers have in the past can they do it again i i think like the 49ers have this like the mental like fortitude to be able to do it and i don't know if a guy like i'm looking at Dak specifically i don't know if like he has that same ability like you mentioned he's gonna want to like push the ball downfield he's gonna want to win the game you know and that's when you know they get into these you know, mistakes and, and interceptions and things like that. So we'll see. I it, It's going to be a very, like the defense is going to have to be very patient and, and let Dak eventually make the mistake because like, I, I have, I don't really have a lot of trust in him as a quarterback. And the only thing I do trust is that he will uh, make a mistake at some point. Maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. I mean, you're, you know, you're right. He wants to push the ball down the field. He wants to make the big play. He wants to spike the ball with no time left on the clock. And that's just, uh, you know, it's what he wants to do and, and what you can count on him doing things like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, just one last thing. Uh, I wanted to check here cause I had a poll of, of what Jersey I should, uh, uh, wear to the game, but really quickly while I'm pulling that up, what are your score predictions for this one, Johnny? You know, I've been asked that a couple times today, and uh, I have to preface this with um, 
I hate Dallas. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I loathe them entirely. Uh, my wife, when we started dating, uh, she was not a 49ers fan. I converted her. Uh, I, I, I brought her over to the, to the Church of Santa Clara, um, and we were able to, to make, bring her into the fold. But she, um, I remember we went, we had a game against Dallas. I can't remember if it was 2011, 12, or 13. It was in that era, and we had a game against Dallas, and I was like, I was just a little bit different all week. And she was like, what's up? And I was like, we're playing Dallas. She's like, what's the big deal? I'm like, it's Dallas. Okay, I don't get it. And then she had to hear the entire history of the 49ers in Dallas. See, I was 10 years old when, during the 1994 NFC Championship game. I put my entire piggy bank as a bet with my best friend who was a Cowboys fan on that game. And so when Eric Davis picked off Troy Aikman for the pick six in the beginning of that game, I was going ballistic. We were at his house. I didn't care. His dad was all mad because he was a Cowboys fan. I didn't care. I was going ballistic to watch the 49ers finally beat the Dallas freaking Cowboys in that big game. And I hate Dallas. Okay, I do. I hate him with a passion. I've hated him since the 90s. And I so I that being said, <laughs> I can't stomach to give Dallas any credit for anything, even if my analyst hat says, you know, they're a talented team. We're not going to be able to hold them to, you know, below a certain point. They're not going to, they're not going to let us score beyond a certain point. I throw that off against Dallas and I say it's going to be 35-3 49ers because that's, I can't oh give God. Dallas any more credit than that. Wow. Okay. That's not what I was expecting, but I like it. I, I like where your head's at. And uh, for me, and and maybe I'm thinking too, like it's because I'm like this is gonna be like a slow, like slugfest kind of game. It's gonna be low scoring, all defense, and yet my score prediction is 26-22, which like isn't really like low scoring, like. But I still think it's gonna be a close game. Ultimately, I think the 49ers, like I said, they're just gonna be able to outlast the Cowboys, like they always have. The only reason I think that is because the Cowboys haven't shown us anything to suggest otherwise to this point. So that's yeah, that's I can't I'm... argue with your score prediction. I can't. I can't like logically argue with your score prediction, but I can't mentally bring myself <laughs> to the point of admitting that I think the Cowboys could score twenty two points on us and are gonna keep us below thirty. I can't mentally admit that. It's just a mental block there of that hatred of this team is so deep. Uh, you know, it'd be like admitting that you think the Seahawks are going to beat us, even when it was in the yeah. Harbaugh air and they're blowing yeah. us out by putting 40 <laughs> burgers on us every game. Like, no, this is the game. We're going to get it this time. So that's why I feel about Dallas. Like, I cannot. No, it's 35-3. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I do hope that is the score. All right. So de definitely hoping for that. Checking on the poll really quickly on what jersey I should wear. So, Guys, I only have three 49ers jerseys right now, right? They're expensive. I have George Kittle, Nick Bosa, and Debo Samuel. Um, on Twitter, I got 40% Nick Bosa. That's the highest. And on YouTube, I got 47%. So I guess it's going to be the Nick Bosa jersey on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to do it. So, I mean, uh, John, for you, you have to wear the Nick Bosa. That's, see, that's probably mean, what on. everyone's thinking. They're like, well, duh, you have to wear the Bosa one. I haven't looked at the comments yet, but I'm assuming <laughs> like that's probably what people are are saying and their reasoning behind it. But uh, is that, Johnny... Is that a little too on the nose, though? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I lean into it sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes, like, you know, people will recognize me for it, and it's like... 
Oh, yeah. And I'm wearing the, like, I have to wear the Bosa jersey. Like, if someone recognizes me from the Bosa videos, like, it is appropriate if I do wear it. So, I don't mind. Um, I was leaning towards, like, uh, Debo, actually, at first, but, because the Debo one's the throwback, the the red, like, throwback, which I I, I love like. the red throwback. Yeah. So yeah. I need so to get good. one. I really do. I haven't... I have a little PTSD because I bought a Jimmy G jersey, and so you know I did I'm, too. I did too. You know, so oh. I, I, my wife has a Jimmy G jersey. My, my daughter has a Jimmy G jersey. Just because that was, it was the only kid side they had. Well, okay. So in in our defense, where <laughs> I got the jerseys from, my wife's size, the only one they had was a Jimmy G jersey, and for my okay. daughter, the only one they had was a Jimmy G jersey uh for me i was like well the kids are getting it i'm gonna get it too and plus it was after i think it was after 2018 it was going into the 2019 yeah. season so you know we're like yeah jimmy g's the guy for here for the next 10 years and then well that didn't work out See, that'd um, be like buying a brock purdy jersey right now and i'm like i wouldn't blame anyone for doing that I yeah mean, well and and he had signed his big extension normally you know i'm right. like you wait till yeah. a guy signs an extension then you buy their jersey and uh, I, but I think I think Bose is going to be my next one, and I really want that '94 throwback. I love those jerseys. Yeah, yeah, they, they are really nice. I want more. I want more of those. But uh, Johnny, uh, plug your channel really quick, man. You have a really awesome channel, and I know most of the viewers who are watching are are from your channel right now. But for anyone who's watching from mine, uh, just plug your channel really quick. Yeah, it's uh, Johnny Dale's Football Academy. That's Johnny with no H. I'm Jonathan, so uh, it's Johnny with no H. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, literally, you can just put it into Google, Johnny Dale's Football Academy. My YouTube's going to pop up. I'm the only thing that's out there is Johnny Dell. So uh, it's pretty easy to find me. You can find me on Twitter, at Johnny Dell's. Um, uh, it's just for Johnny Dell's Football Academy. Um, yeah, so there, there you can find me. You can check out I do weekly game review videos. That's not going to be covering every play because the way I do it, there's just way too much time. But I try and tell the story of the game. Really, that's what it's about. It's about I, I watch through the film. I'm not trying to make a point one way or the other. It's about this is what coming out of the film I see as the story of the game. If the run game is really effective, you're going to see a lot of things highlighting why the run game was effective. If we got gashed in the run game, you're going to see why we got gashed in the run game. If Brock Purdy throws 20 of 21, guess what? I'm showing every single Brock Purdy drop back because that's a record for the 49ers. Um, you know, it's going to be about telling the story of the game and, and bringing it to you from the perspective of scheme on scheme. That's what I really like to highlight. Well, I love, love, love your breakdowns, love your channel. It, it's really great. So, Keep keep doing that. And uh, all you guys who tuned in, thank you so much. Johnny, thank you for joining me again, like, last minute. Uh, but enjoy the rest of your Friday, folks. Enjoy your Saturday and Sunday. We move, man. It is, man, 49ers are going to win that game, all right? And if they don't, it, it's okay. It's okay. But they will. So have a good rest of your Friday, folks. But for now, peace.